This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 35. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network, the Off Duty On Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of on-duty law enforcement and concealed carriers to give you both angles of discussion today. I'm joined by Cecil Birch, one of my favorite people in the industry from immediate action combatives. And we're going to talk like some empty hand techniques and uh, some just kit for the, for the concealed carrier and for the law enforcement officer, uh, some martial arts background type stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by our new title sponsor, XS Sites. Link will be in the show notes, XS Sites for night sights, etc. for uh, your favorite pistol. Also brought to you by CCW Safe, the best legal service membership for concealed carriers and LEOs, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Check them out today and get 10% off your membership by going to ccwsafe.com and entering code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. I'll get you 10% off your membership. All right, let's bring in our guest, Cecil Birch. Cecil, how's it going in Arizona today? It's good. It's actually an amazingly beautiful day. We had this weird spike of heat over the last few days, and I was teaching on a range up in uh, northern Arizona and got wind burned and sunburned, surprisingly. And I'm like, oh man, are we starting early with the heat waves this year? And now all of a sudden we've got, it's, it's grayed out. So hopefully this lasts a little bit longer. Yeah. Are you, you primarily teaching handgun stuff right now or? No. Uh, well this, this, I was teaching, uh, uh, my close contact handgun class, which is basically, uh, managing unknown contacts. And if you screw that up, how to maintain distance where you can either disengage or if you have to use the the handgun the way it's supposed to at distance, or if you've really screwed up and it's in a little bit closer, how to have a better, you know, a more complete draw stroke to take into account, you know, just in case. So, I mean, technically it's a handgun class, but really it's how not to, get to a fight class. But yeah, unfortunately, if you try to advertise it that way, people don't sign up. Yeah, that's understandable. I was reading immediate action combatives, uh, your website and, uh, uh-huh. your list of, uh, mentors in the martial arts community were like my heroes growing up. So I was a little yeah. jealous that you were kind of on the West coast there, uh, and had access to a lot yeah, of those it- people. It, 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 you know, I, I had to scrimp and save and I sold plasma and I sold blood during college and, you know, and didn't, you know, I would pass up dates and, you know, going out to do stuff. Cause I'd be like, no, I got to make my monthly trip to LA to, you know, pay for a weekend of training that kind you know, that kind of stuff. And I always, I got lucky. I have to say for the most part throughout the eighties and nineties, I was able to train with almost everybody I wanted to in the martial art world. There's very, very few exceptions. Yeah. And you're uh, probably one of the few people I've ever met that 
really has an extensively diverse background. You know, just reading the different uh, the different disciplines you've trained in extensively. You know, now nowadays it seems like everything's kind of the all you can eat buffet. A, a little bit yep. of this, a little bit of that. Yep. And if you're listening to this, go check out his website, Immediate Action Combatives. And uh, you know, if you're kind of a martial arts, I won't say geek, but enthusiast like I me. Will. Okay, I well, will. Nerd, nerd. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my child, my childhood, I was like reading magazines and seeing all these people. And then I see all the people that you've trained with and under, yeah. and I'm like, Oh wow. Like yeah. I'm a little jealous. I'm 10 years too late and, uh, grew up in the Midwest. So, yeah. So yeah. What, a let's like kind of distill that down from all the disciplines you've done. What are like for your average armed citizen, what are two, let's say two martial arts that they could go and gain some really valuable skills doing without, I hate to say without spending an inordinate amount of time or, or devoting a ton of discipline to Joe six pack nine to five needs, uh, needs some, some empty hand skills. What would you, what, what would be kind of two styles you'd recommend? I always point people towards the combat sports, what people euphemistically call the combat sports. Um, so boxing and it's related sister arts like Muay Thai, Savat, um, Sanda, and then wrestling. And it's, you know, sort of generic terms. So you got, you know, Greco freestyle, folk style, um, Sambo, Judo, and then Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So any of any of those are what I would steer to because it works. You know, basically there's no. There, you don't have to take it on faith that the combat sports are going to work because you do them. Unlike most, no, not most, all other martial arts, um, you actually almost from day one are doing them against resisting opponents with the freedom of action to defend and to try to beat you. And so I know what it's like to hit somebody with the straight cross. I know what it's like to choke somebody out with the guillotine. I know what it's like to hit somebody with the planet. And more importantly, I know what that's like to have done to me. So there's no question. So generally I tell people you need a, a reasonable, decent grounding and striking. So, so, you know, boxing, Muay Thai, something like that, as long as it's a good, legit place. Um, and then you need some kind of grappling. I, the easiest for most people now is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I think it has the best bang for the buck overall of actually of any kind of self-defense system, whether gun, knife, whatever. I think Jiu-Jitsu gives you the best bang for the buck. But, but any grappling system you can do. Hey, you got a judo club, you know, taught by... Um, a guy from the Olympic judo team that's down the street from you do that. You know, um, your, your neighbor is, a um, uh, was a freestyle wrestler, you know, um, competed internationally and now works with the local high school kids team and would be interested in, you know, working with you in his garage. <laughs> do that. You know, so I'm not, I'm not particularly picky as long as you 
or go for one of those things. You know, could you do other martial arts? Sure. I certainly did. And with MMA being so popular, a lot of the other martial arts have kind, to some extent, kind of improved their training methodologies. Unfortunately, a lot of them have dug in deeper and have tried to resist it or they try to copy it uh, poorly. But, you know, if you have a, if you have a martial art that, again, is teaching you that, that alive reaction with your partner where they can stop you, they've got, you know, whatever the parameters are that's involved in your system, they can do whatever. And they, and they're trying to make you lose as long as you have that training component, you know, it's like a, a Chinese restaurant menu. Right. Right. You know, pick from column A and column B and have your and have your meal is perfectly fine. Yeah. I've uh, after 19 years in law enforcement, I have I've deployed with a gun. I can't tell you how many times fired a gun in in uh, self-defense one time against a dog. But that was one time in 15 years. Uh, The martial arts I studied as a kid have saved my bacon a hundredfold more times. And, and I didn't, I didn't devote to them for very long. Um, you know, I got into judo very young and right around the time I was getting into that was when the whole UFC thing kind of, it okay. kind of revamped the martial arts world, so to speak. Uh, yep. it really yep. started to have a huge influence and, you know, now it's kind of, you, you can't drive through any major metropolitan area and not see a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym anymore. So, yep. Yep. Uh, so on the police officer side, now I've got most of us wear like a gun belt, you know, some type of utilitarian belt that tends to restrict yep. your ground movement game or complicate it to some degree. What kind of, uh, what kind of like precautions or additional stuff do you do there to maybe adapt to that? Do it correctly. Okay. <laughs> which, which, which I, I know sounds almost insulting, but I, and I don't mean it that way. The problem is that most of the time people aren't doing the things correctly. They're, they're, they're brand new to something. They learn something, a new move, and then they go and practice it and they think they've got it and they're missing a ton of stuff. Um, and it happens to everybody. I'm a third degree black belt in jujitsu. I've been doing jujitsu since 1989. And I swear to God, on Monday night, I had one of those, I can't believe I missed this moment right. with my instructor. It was just one of those dumb, because I was I was having trouble with a particular um, move that I like doing all the time. And then if the guys were doing this one other thing, it was kind of stopping me. And so I asked my professor and he goes, well, why? And I was, and I'm like, well, his hands there. And he goes, yeah, but you could still do the choke. And I'm like, oh, son of a gun. I told, <laughs> I totally missed that. So, so the problem is like, like I can move on the, you can load me down with whatever gear you want, put a backpack on me, put tons of stuff on my belt, give me a boot, give me body armor, whatever. I can move on the ground pretty much the same way I move on the mats. There's not a lot of difference. But you have to do the move correctly. And I see this all the time, even even with guys who've got a few years of jujitsu who I'll tell them, do a hip escape or do, a, a you know, an upa, a bridge. 
and it's done poorly. And, and I'm like, I try to point out to him, well, here's what you're doing wrong. No, I'm doing that. No, you're not. <laughs> I just watched you. Here's video. As a matter of fact, here's filming. Um, Cause I found a lot of times you have to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, Same in the gun. Remember, world. Yeah, well, I, I was just going to say, I remember the first time I, I hosted Craig for uh, Craig Douglas for his arm movement and structure class. And I'd never done anything like that before I'd done. When I went through Gunsight 250 in 1987, you know, you they give you two shoot houses that you go through, but it's like really super, super fundamental and just very basic, right? Mm-hmm. Well, our movement of structures is just mentally just so devastating. There's so much to it, you know, the geometry of everything and you know, and so we're working through the problems and Craig's given us the template. And so I start my first run, right. And I'm like the first guy going through and a Craig's, of course, Craig's watching over my shoulder and I'm trying to remember 18 things he told us to do. And I hear his voice go, Cecil, your finger's on the trigger. And I'm like, no, it's not. He goes, Cecil, look at your finger. And I look there. It was on the trigger of my airsoft gun. I didn't think of, I, I have really good trigger discipline. But in that moment, I, because I was under such a cognitive load that I hadn't ingrained it to the level I should. And that's, and that's what happens a lot of times you're learning to move and now you have to do it against a guy who's resisting. Right. And you're forgetting, well, I've got to make sure that this foot has traction so I can drive and that I'm lifting up properly this way. Um, when I first started teaching this publicly, you know, doing open enrollment seminars and stuff, you know, guys would say, you know, kind of talk about what you just mentioned. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not a cop. I might be, you know, I might be completely talking out the wrong hole. So what I did, I have a couple of buddies with um, who sheriff's deputies with different departments, different counties close to me. And I borrowed their gear. And one of them is a little more of like a chest oriented rig, uh-huh. uh, like a, like a vest rig. And then the other one's more belt. So I put both of them and I went on, on gravel and I went out on asphalt and I did moves and guess what? Everything was fine. Okay. You know, it's because I know how to do it. Right. Um, so you have to be careful with this stuff. Jujitsu, jujitsu is all little stuff. It's all tiny little things. You know, and especially coming from the gun world, we, because I'm going to, this is going to sound like I'm being dismissive and I'm not. Um, Shooting a handgun is pretty simple, right? The task that we have to do now, doing it under stress can throw things off. So I'm not, I'm not saying that, but how long does it really take you to learn to shoot a handgun properly, you know, combatively, right? You know? Not very long, and uh, I, I Larry Vickers in a class he hit it on the head for me. He said it's a simple task, but it's not easy. Nope, nope. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. But physically, the motions, the mechanics are really simple. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take you know long to uh, you know good draw, good presentation up into the eye line, good trigger press, you know, good follow through, etc. Well, it doesn't work quite that way in grappling, unfortunately, because there's so many variables. And what we don't have with shooting is there's nobody, 
there's no opposing person who's impacting what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. If, if he's shooting back at you, but he's not physically doing something to your physical actions. Well, in grappling, it's a nonstop, right? Every time I do something, he can feel it and he's trying to stop it. So it's easy to miss the little details. It's very easy to go to think, oh, my hip escapes good. Okay, maybe, but you really, you really have to let other people judge it. You have to look on video. You have to see that from the outside to really judge it. And you have to, you have to assume that you're not doing it perfectly. Right. I, I yeah. still, I, st- I don't know. I've literally, I've been doing a Kimura arm lock, a, a bent arm lock for 30 years. It was one of the first things I learned in jujitsu and I'm still trying to work on it. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I can't assume that it's a great issue. It's a great problem in the martial arts world. And, and I say this because I did it. It's when a technique fails, we always blame the technique, right? right? In the gun world, in the gun world, we kind of do the same thing, right? We we're, we're shooting at a class and we, you know, let's say we're doing a Tom Gibbons class and we're going to shoot a casino drill, right? And we don't do quite as well as we think. What's our first, what's the well, first thing we say? I don't like my holster. I don't like my sights. I don't like the trigger of my gun. I don't like it. the yeah. ammo. The ammo wasn't exactly. right. Yeah. Exactly. And in the martial arts, it's, well, that technique failed. Give me a new technique. Well, no. For the, and that all could be true. But more likely, the answer is we screwed up, right? You screwed up the casino drill because you smashed the trigger on a couple of those because you were looking over your sights because, because you weren't doing the technique properly, right? Yeah. That's what we tend to miss. We just, we always assume we've learned it. Now we do it perfectly 100% of the time. And as a coach, as an instructor, I'm telling you, that's not. That's not the case. You know, I, I look at my white belts and blue belts all the time. They're, they're training with me multiple times a week and they'll do the thing on Monday that I told them not to do on Wednesday. They'll do that exact thing. And I'm like, are you messing with me on purpose? Are you, did you purposely <laughs> decide to do it wrong? Just to, just to give me more gray hair, you know, because you go, we just, we spent 45 minutes on this on Monday. And that's, and that's not any, and it's not, it's not saying students are dumb. It's not saying it's none of that. It's this stuff is hard. Any kind of fighting, fighting of all kinds, shooting knife, impact weapons, hand, whatever, managing that, you know, the pre-fight stuff, Mm -hmm. all of it's hard. And it requires a deep, you know, it doesn't mean you could get functional in a lot of ways pretty quickly like jujitsu you don't need a lot of knowledge and a lot of practice to get really functional really quick and to take a leap but to really be good to really master it just like shooting right you you learn shooting and let's say you take a good one-day class with the tom gibbons and ernest langdon something like that yeah Yeah, good one-day class you're probably pretty good but to be a master how long is that going to take Oh, I, I'm, 
I'm 41. I started shooting when I was about three. Yeah. And uh, I probably all detailed and dialed in performance across a, you know, a whole litany of platforms, shotgun, rifle, pistol, uh, revolvers, you know, double action guns, um, the whole gamut from everything from rim fire to center fire. The only thing I don't do is like long range precision stuff. And mm-hmm. each one of those disciplines took literally years to get to the point yep. that I would go, I can show somebody else how to do this, yep. um, which, you know, that's kind of one of the, the, the rubs I have in the instructor community with, uh, you know, people not really staying in their lane is I'm like, dude, you know, when I was 16 years old, I was running a reloader and loading precision ammunition. That's how deep of a study I've done in this. And some people kind of just like shortcut that and go, well, I went to this instructor certification and now I can impart it to you. And it's like, eh, yep, pump the brakes. But, uh, you know, with, with handguns to me, a lot of that stuff is very subconscious. And one of the things, correct me if I'm wrong, um, watching two dudes that are almost equally matched, uh, rolling, uh, rolling mats in an informal setting. It reminds me of a game of chess mm-hmm. and it does not seem all that subconscious. I have two dear friends, both of them, one of them's with CCW safe now that are both world-class, uh, you know, either wrestlers, jujitsu, just have a, a, a wide background in that. And they're very, very skilled. And watching them roll is like watching a game of physical chess. And I don't like, I think you can park handgun fundamentals pretty quickly um, and, and park them subconsciously pretty quickly. But the processes involved in that just to me seem like it's a constant, it's as much mental as it is physical. If that, I mean, I may be completely off base. No, but. no, it's, it, it, it is that way. It's, it's it's subconscious in the sense that sometimes your body starts to react to what you felt before you quite get it. Um, some of my best sweeps or guard passes or submissions have been afterwards. I go, did you let me do that? Because it was just like, just there. And I think, and it was more, I had done enough reps and I had, understood the position and I felt there's the gap and my body responded to it. Um, some of that's conscious, but especially with grappling, it ha- a lot of it has to be subconscious because it's there's, we're talking about tiny increments of space done in the blink of an eye. Um, I always use this example. Like if we're in a gunfight from 10 yards away and I move my elbow an inch, is that really going to affect the gunfight? Probably not. But if we're entangled and I move my elbow an inch, that's literally the difference between life and death. And that inch can move as I blink my eye. Right. Right. So it's very hard to pick up. And this, and going back to your original, you know, question before I went off on my rant um, <laughs> about, you know, gearing up and then rolling in the street and with, you know, with gear on is the, when you're trying to do all of this, 
you're trying to think I need to do this move. I need to move my body this way. I need to do this thing. And with another guy on top of you, pounding your head into the asphalt, most of the time you don't have the room. You don't have the space because by the time you feel or you recognize, oh, there's the gap, and then you physically start to do it, it's too late. He could very well shut off that that little gap. So a lot of this has to be, boop, oh, my hip went that way. And I didn't, there wasn't a conscious movement of it. It was, nope, that's where I'm going. Boom. Um, I just, (laughs) I got one of my black belt rolling partners. He's really good. He's a really good at, at guillotines. And so he managed to start to get it on me, but he couldn't finish. And afterwards he was going, man, your defense was so your, it was just so airtight. And I didn't even realize it while he was putting on the guillotine. I was trying to finish passing his guard, but as he put the guillotine on my outside in this case it was my right hip went out and up a little bit there wasn't a conscious decision that i made saying oh i got to defend andrew's guillotine by doing this my my hip went no i got to post out here and that gave me the ability to keep him from cinching down and dragging me into into where my neck's going to be stretched out there was no way i could have done that consciously because things are so small and that's why, and that's why it's very tough to understand jujitsu. I mean, you can get solid at jujitsu very quickly. You can get, um, you can get to the point where going against somebody who doesn't know jujitsu, you have six months of jujitsu. You're, you're a, a fighting God, but that next step to go from there now fighting against somebody who has your ability in jujitsu or more now you're talking about years and years. Yeah. Because it, 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 it's, it's, it is a game. It is this physical chess that if I just, if I do one tiny thing, you might have the perfect attack, but if I just put my elbow one spot, it's done. I've stopped you. You know, and the, and that kind of thing is very hard to understand that when you're new. And the other thing that's hard to understand that I I, I find with people is that they don't have really good uh, proprioception mm-hmm. and kinesthetic awareness of their body. You know, you tell people head up, head over spine, spine in the middle of your hips. That's the rule for posture. I don't care. No ifs, ands, or buts, no coconuts. There's no time that we, we should break that. And I tell that to somebody, I'll show it to somebody, I'll teach it. And they go, yeah, yeah, got it, coach, got it. And they go and do it and they do exactly what I told them not to do. Mm-hmm. Their heads forward and they're bent over and all this kind of stuff. And then, but they'll swear up and down that, no, 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 I was, no, I had good posture. No, you didn't. So it's just, it's a hard thing to do. It's, it's hard to do it. It's like, because it's, it's handgun mastery. Now you're shooting at the USPSA nationals and you're squatted with Latham and Seeklander and, you know, JJ Rakaza, you know, all those, and that's who your squad is. Your pressure, your pressure to pour is so overwhelming that if you don't have that 
your your handgun manipulation down completely subconscious, you're probably low man on that squad. Right. Yeah, I've seen I've I've seen that movie a couple of times. Yeah, um, and it's yep that <laughs> that was kind of uh, when I was coming up shooting. Uh, you know, I would intentionally squad with people like that when I was when I was mm-hmm. doing martial arts. I never rolled with somebody that was the same skill level as me. I always tried to go two to three skill levels above. And, you know, and I think a lot of people, especially in, in American Western culture, they don't like to take the years of, of, I won't call it abuse, but learning through failure. They don't like, yep. they don't like that. And, uh, nope. Yeah, I've always kind of been wired that way. Well, I just fell down 16 times. Let's see if we can get it right on number 17 or 30,000, whatever. Um, And it's odd to me how American culture looks at that like you're a glutton for punishment. Hanny and I talked about, you know, in, in especially in Eastern culture, there are people that devote a lifetime to one art form and fail at it for 40, 50 years before they finally master it. And, uh, and they consider that noble and here it's like, well, I didn't get the toy in the happy meal. My day's ruined, you know, so two pieces of kit you can't live without. Let's say gun is not one, two pieces of other kit. You can't, that you, you absolutely want to have with you all the time. Flashlight, good handheld flashlight. Cause I can carry it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, I've taught in the UK. I've taught in Singapore. I mean, Neither one of them are particularly um, friendly to self-defense oriented stuff. No problem. Nobody batted an eye that I had my nice, you know, four sevens quark flashlights on either one. So, um, and I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, second one, man, is it not that I couldn't not have Um Outside of traveling to a place like Singapore or the UK, some kind of uh, knife. Okay. Um, just utilitarian more than anything else. Yeah. You know, just, I, again, I use it for everything. When I first started dating my wife uh, 32 years ago, um, I've been carrying a, a knife on me since 1984 uh, when Spyderco came out with its second model, the police model. Yeah. And um, I was like, Oh my God, this is like the heavens shining down going, this is what you need for folding knives. So you're, you're talking the alloy handle serrated. Oh yeah. I think every cop in the, the U S had one in their toolkit at one time, man, it was just such a, and I was there and I'm paying attention to the knife world. I'm, you know, I'm in high school and, and I was in, in college in 84, but I'm, I'm looking at all those kind of things. And when Spyderco came out with that, not just the idea, but a mass produced blade that was fairly easy to buy. And I think, I think the police model, I think then was like 80 or $90, mm-hmm. which as a college student, I didn't have. So, so I scrimped and saved and for a while, uh, a month or so, just to put those pennies together till I had the police model. But I, I've carried something every day. And when I first started dating my wife, you know, her family would always joke, oh, well, Cecil's got a knife. He's got a knife. But yet they always ask to use it. Mm-hmm. There's always almost every time. Cecil, 
do you have a knife? Yeah. You know, the one you make fun of me for? Yeah, I do happen to have it. Well, can I borrow it for a second? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, just daily use. Nobody's slashing each other at family parties, but <laughs> they're, you, you know, yeah, hopefully, right? Um, though it is Irish Catholic and they do like to drink. So it, well, it's always on the table at any point. <laughs> um, <laughs> not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's definitely within the possibility. Um, but you know, so something like that, I just think is a good utility, um, uh, thing. So for that, for sure, those two, just cause you use them all the time. Yeah. That's my top two. Yep. What do you prefer when you're, you know, say you're in defensive mindset, fixed blade out the front side folder. Doesn't matter. Just have nice fixed blade for sure. The fixed blade for sure. It, I, I tend to be fairly agnostic on gear. Okay. You know, I, I think if it's good gear, I've seen a lot of people use different stuff. Right. This guy loves Glock 19. This guy loves uh, a 92. Well, they both work. So who's better? This guy, you know, loves a double action revolver. Well, they both, you know, so most gear I tend to be pretty agnostic about. Um, The the knife, though, if I if I'm wanting to optimize it. If if concealment, if I can conceal it, if I've got the freedom to conceal it the way it needs to be done then I prefer a, a small fixed blade knife carried on the belt forward of the hips. Okay. That's going to put me in the best position possible to access a blade with either hand, no matter what kind of position I'm in, I can be in the war. I can be face down completely flat with a 300 pound guy on top of me smashing, trying to smash my head in. But if I can have my, my forearm and hand in between my torso and the ground, that knife's coming out. Now, there's no, there's no maybes. It will, I will be able to get it out. Any other blade carried any other way? Maybe, but maybe not. So um, the orientation I prefer is the orientation that, that Craig Douglas pretty much popularized the handle diagonal down towards the center line. Okay. And that way I, that way I can, my elbow, all I have to do is articulate my elbow in a few degrees and I can grab the, the knife with either hand. My elbow's not flared out, which is a big, big problem that people don't realize when they're, yeah. Okay. I carry my blade uh, vertically, which is great. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying there's, that's not reasonable, but to access it, your your elbow tends to have to flare outwards to do it, especially if you carry on the hip or behind the hip. Now my elbow's flaring out. At range, that's no big deal. But within that three or four yard envelope, it's a major deal. You know, and as a grappler, you start to look at stuff like that. You start, you look at elbows moving away from people's bodies and you go, yep, that's what I want. That's mm-hmm. what I need right there. So, uh, so when I'm reverse engineering it, I don't want to be that guy, right? I don't, I, I, I don't want to give that guy that window if I can help it. Now stuff gets in the way, right? right. I can't conceal the way I want to. I'm, I have to dress a different way or, you know, whatever. I might have to make 
changes, which is cool. I, I don't have a problem with that. But if you're if we're talking about optimized, you know, small blade doesn't three to four inch blade with a not too big a handle carried forward, you know, forward of the hips on the belt line. That would be ideal. Yeah. Do folders work? Sure. Absolutely. Auto openers, side or front for uh, Absolutely. But anything but a fixed blade knife is a broken blade. And that's uh, that's Chris Fry's terminology, and it's just brilliant. Every non-fixed blade knife is a broken knife that you, before you can use it, you have to fix. It's carrying a, a folding knife in your pocket, especially, is no different than carrying a, uh, a G43 with an empty chamber. Okay. Okay. Is it doable? Absolutely. Not to say that it doesn't work, but is it optimized? You know? Yeah. So, you know, and sometimes like in California, I travel to California all the time. I can't carry a fixed plate knife. Not real. I mean, you can under the letter of the law, but it's really iffy. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's even a bit of concealment, of that blade, they can run you up. So for the most part, I stick to a folding knife when I'm in California, it just makes life easier, but any, any gear limitation or any limitation that you have like that is fine, but then you have to work your skill set more to compensate for it. Yeah. Um, So, you know, like, like if you're a good shooter, you could probably get that gun out and cycle uh, around in the chamber pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But well, what if you only have yourself? one hand? Well, that's exactly. If you don't have to handicap yourself, why? You know, mm-hmm. if if you do, all right, live with it and train around it. You know, I, so I, I don't like being that guy to say, well, don't do this. Well, sometimes you have to. Yeah. You know, I, just I, understand that it's not optimal. Yeah. I don't have the option to carry, like to carry a fixed blade in the, in the position you set, like when I'm wearing work clothes, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's not an option. And, uh, you know, having, having a, you know, either an out the front or a side folder of some sort on the pocket on one or both pockets is not only is it, uh, utilitarian, it's pretty innocuous, you know? Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I'm pretty agnostic about a lot of gear, gear driven stuff. As, yeah. As long as you can then go, look, this is, I can't do this. This is the best I can do. Mm-hmm. And I understand the limitations, but I also understand I still get some bonuses out of this and I will treat it accordingly. Yeah. You know, um, I was talking to, I can't remember if it was Daryl or Chuck Haggard. I was talking about this um, a while ago. We were talking about, you know, back in the day when cops are running or not in cops, but everybody's pretty much running revolvers. There wasn't a lot of spray and pray, right? Because everybody knew, yeah, you, you had speed loaders on your belt or speed strips or whatever, but what, you know, were you really going to be running that? in the middle of a gunfight. So maybe 
with your limitation, make sure each shot you put down range is going exactly where you want it to. Yeah. I still, so you go, I still carry a J frame quite a bit. Um, yeah. and now granted, you know, in my era of law enforcement, when I came in, in 2002 revolvers were still, they weren't completely at the level of domination of like semi-autos, but almost everybody had a J frame on their ankle or tucked behind their belt or in a pocket or something. So it wasn't, it wasn't foreign. And, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, they're almost non-existent in law enforcement, except for guys, some of the carryovers from my era and before, and they're, you know, I, I got it because there are certain places I travel in the country. I, I don't know what their laws are. J frames yep. are pretty well 50 state legal. So yep. I, yep. I don't, even as a cop, I don't have to, it's not even a concern and I don't necessarily feel outgunned by just having that. Uh, nope. it, it definitely gives you pause for like, where am I going to go and what type of environment am I going to be in? Um, but like you said, it's not optimal, but it's better than nothing. So it's better than nothing. And you go, all right, so I need to work a little bit more. Maybe I need to make sure I'm practicing with this a little bit more. Maybe I make sure, can I make a headshot at seven yards with that J frame? Can I, you know, can I do these things um, to the best of my ability? I'm just, I, I'm not just grabbing a J frame, throwing it in the pocket mm-hmm. and then walk around going, yeah, whatever. I'm good. No, but, but see, you shouldn't do that. All right. Let's say you're carrying your Glock 34 with a compensator and a red dot and a, and a X 300 and extended mag out of some super cool holster. Even that you shouldn't just go, yeah, I got it and put it on. Right. Right. You still need, you still need to work the skill set. No matter how gr- you can have the Gucci gear, you still need to train it. Yeah. You can, you can give me the highest end set of golf clubs made. I'm <laughs> I've never played a round of golf in my life. Yep. Yep. But, I, you can give me the, the, some super handcrafted Stratus, Stradivarius violin. This is just the height of, of awesome craftsmanship. And it's going to go, you know, because I can't play it. Yeah. So Speaking of revolvers and semi-autos, now that we both know yep. we're we're agnostic on gear, uh, one of the justifications that I use for myself when I when I stick a J frame on is if I'm off work, it is way more likely I'm going to end up in an entanglement before a gun gets deployed because mm. I don't you know maybe I'm not carrying pepper spray and the chances of that being a physical entanglement where somebody doesn't you know. I'm not wearing a uniform with a Batman utility belt. Uh, I don't have all these distance tools. I don't, you know, so chances are that's going to be some type of a really close range assault. Um, one of my justifications for carrying a wheel gun is I don't have to worry about the gap of a slide operating. If I have to do work with that, um, what's your kind of, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, again, I tend to be a little agnostic, except on certain things I do see as uh, a little bit more on the good side. You know, um, a small revolver, number one, short like that, 
it's very difficult for a guy to get his hand on that gun and have control over it. You know, um, with any, even a small semi-auto, it's easy to grab the end of that slide. I don't know, you can be running a tiny little gun. You still got that nice blocky squared little bit. That's easy for somebody to grab on with the, with a snub, not nearly as good. And your leverage because, because it's more like this circle in your hand, as opposed to two right angle straight lines, it tends to be centered right above your hand, your paw, your, your fist. And so you're much stronger in resisting that kind of stuff. It's much easier. Like you said, if I do, I'm not a, I don't think contact shots are a panacea, but there are certain very specific instances when a contact shot, if you understand position, that's the big caveat that people miss out. But if you understand position and you understand that the contact shot actually is you're punching the guy, you're not just placing it, but you're driving that as, you know, inches into his body. Yeah. You know what? I can probably get maybe the full cylinder off at that, which with a semi-auto, I might even get the first shot off, yeah. you know, um, I, I do and being smaller, but in that very weird compact form that stub nose have is I find that it's easier to get it into an entanglement, even more so than small autos. And I've seen it in my classes. I've seen it, you know, assisting Craig and others at, you know, things like ECQC and similar type training. I wouldn't say it across the board as a hard and fast rule. But I generally tend to see that people, it's easier to get that little roundy, roundish, curvy snub into play than it is even, a, you know, a shield or something, especially if it's not carried in a holster. Right. Um, that's really where that squared 90 degree ish type lines of a semi auto really start to become not impossible, but a bit more problematic in a pocket, in an ankle holster, you know, in something else besides that holster that's holding it nicely on your belt. Um, so I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of, of snub nose guns in general for most stuff or especially for private citizens, but in, especially in the entanglement, you know, here's what, here's what I think Interesting. So I'm an, uh, uh, along with being a martial art nerd is I'm a, I'm a history nerd. So I, I, I love history and I, I, I'm a bibliophile. And so I, you know, I have tons of books on martial arts and hand to hand fighting, but I got, you know, I have a, you know, solid shooting collection too. And I love reading those books by, you know, the older guys. And you look at Fitzgerald, right? Here's the guy writing i mean i think shooting was published first in 1930 but he was writing it 27 28 29 mm-hmm. right so you're talking about late 20s the whole, what what people miss out on part of the reason the fitz special revolver looks the way it does is for the entangled fight right you know he's 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 talks about it in his book that's it's in print for what 90 years now for everybody to see. This is a very common occurrence. 
with, you know, guys trying to grab onto your gun. I keep that barrel under two inches and even the cutaway trigger guard, right? Which, you know, all the modern striker fired base guys, you know, you know, have conniption fit at the idea of not having the trigger guard. But one of the reasons he had it, you know, everyone's, like, oh, it's quicker to get your finger on the trigger. Yeah, that's part of it. But he also said, if a guy is trying to rip the gun away, he's not going to rip your trigger finger along with it because there's no trigger guard to do it. Now, how do you come up with that? Because you just thought of it, or maybe you've seen it happen and you put a little work into this, right? Yeah. So here's guys 90 years ago doing this kind of stuff, talking about this. Well, we haven't really, I mean, we've approved, we've improved on it in the sense that it's easier to train. We understand the whole methodology. You know, we have a good way of working all this, but the grounding was already written for us. So yeah. Can you use a semi-auto? Sure. No problem. You know, in that kind of, of course you can. Can you run a G43? Can you run a shield? Sure. Of course. I'm not saying you don't, but there are a couple teeny little things where that revolver has an incremental better functionality yeah. in certain environments. Yeah. Look, maybe a little better tool for, uh, for that particular type of, uh, engagement. Right. So, and if you don't, if you don't want to care about that engagement, okay, fine. Then, then that's irrelevant. Then you can, then you can think about running your, your, your shield out of your pocket and, more power to you. Cool. Yeah. But you know, it, grappling happens. Grappling happens in a weapons environment, regardless of what you want to believe, you know, regardless of what the sub, you know, the so-called subject matter experts online want to talk about. It does happen over and over and over again. Yeah. So, you know, ignore it at your risk. So we're coming up on the hour. It goes fast when you get to like, uh, holy moly. Yeah. You get to like defensive minded nerds together. I tell everybody yep. when I, when I give them the cue, Hey, it's coming up on the hour. Are you serious? Yeah. I guess yep. that, or I'm an easy guy to talk to. I don't know. I hadn't figured it out. <laughs> yeah, probably but, both. Probably both. Probably <laughs> a little bit of both. Let's go. Uh, final thought question. And usually I give people just a final thought, but I kind of want to gear it to you because you've had, you know, like you said, you tested out the body armor, the gear, the, the belt and all that. Huh? Uh, one piece of grappling advice for cops, one for armed citizens. I think, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it separate. I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any reason to separate it. Um, it's, it's like playing the guitar, right? You play the guitar. There's a certain way to play the guitar. There's you're, you play chords, you play progressions, you play notes, etc. All right, this guy wants to play heavy metal guitar. This guy wants to play classical guitar. This guy wants to play jazz guitar. This guy wants to play country. Well, so the music you produce might sound a little bit different. And there's maybe a little trick here and there that you play it slightly different, but for the most part, it's going to be the same. And so grappling for self-defense in a self-defense context is going to be the same for everybody. Um, so final piece of advice, um, man, I got about 1800 things. Uh, we get, we need a four hour show just to hit my final things. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. 
don't assume you understand it after learning it the first time. Put a little thought, put a little practice into it. The mechanics, the basic mechanics are what works. Put a little time into practicing those and not try to jump ahead, right? The white belt disease is, well, I saw this thing on YouTube. Shut up. Don't shut. Stop right there because you're about to, the next words out of your mouth are really going to irritate me because you can't even pass another white belt's guard. You can't even stop another white belt from passing your guard. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we, we're looking for the cool stuff. Most of the cool stuff is actually the things we learn in the first six months of jujitsu. Just do those work, the mechanics, um, never, ever, ever, ever forget that your primary first line of defense is control their arms. I don't care what the context is. I don't care if it's straight jujitsu. I don't care if it's no gi. I don't care if it's MMA. I don't care if it's weapons, your first obligation, your first line in the sand is you have to control the other guy's arms. That's what he's going to use to stop you from passing his guard, from getting a submission. That's what he's going to use to pass your guard, get a submission, throw you down, etc. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, oh, with weapons, now we have to pay attention to the arms. No, you have to pay attention to the arms the entire time in jiu-jitsu from day one. Uh, nobody is going to submit you unless you're Hicks and Gracie, nobody is going to submit you without their arms. It's just not going to happen. Nobody's going to pass your guard without their arms. Nobody's so, going to submit you without their arms. I love that as a final thought. Yep. I, I just, I really yep. do. So, yep. uh, man, it's, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that controlling the limbs thing. You can get lazy, but it's number one. Well, Cecil, I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to uh, come on the off-duty, on-duty podcast, and I, I, I really appreciate all your insight, and uh, we'll definitely do it again so that you can uh, you can join the ranks of Hanny and Daryl Bulky of being multi-time guest <laughs> slash co-host. How about that? Yeah, but, yeah, but those, two, well, Daryl can definitely talk more than me. And I, and I, and I think Hanny is more well-spoken and more and smarter than I am. So there's a reason you have those guys on a lot. Well, that, and I know the editor, so I can make anybody sound <laughs> intelligent, right? No, I'm kidding. All right. Man. Well, you got to then do some work on me then. <laughs> Thanks again, Cecil Birch for coming on the off duty on duty podcast. Oh, I guess I got to give you all some outro music. Again, thanks to our title sponsor, our new title sponsor, Excess Sites. Check out their website uh, in the uh, show notes. I'll have a link there. They do uh, sites for your uh, lever guns, rifles, scope rings, mounts. Uh, My personal favorite being the uh, Big Dot site for the J-Frame. Stay tuned on that. I'm about to install one in my personal J-Frame. And uh, I'll, I'll put up some links on the Facebook there. Also, 
check out ccwsafe.com, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout for 10% off your membership. As always, EDC Belt Company is a sponsor of the podcast, maker of the foundation belt. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And we will catch you next week. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.